0: The Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live.
1: Step back! Ah!
0: That's a Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the dagger? Ah! It's a great night to be a Mountaineer
2: wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he
0: caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Warner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone.
2: It is Wednesday, August the 2nd. You're tuned in to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Ice Warner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. You can text us 304 263 4321. You can tweet us at EP Sports Network. Good oh, morning, fellas. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing this morning?
3: I'm good. You know, good. Uh, one more day left to go in the week. I'm sorry, two more days left to go in the week. I was, was going to say, you're advancing a little bit. thought it was on Thursday. Alan. Uh, American Legion state tournament starts today, and man, high school football—that bug's already—that—that that train's already rolling. Joe Bracato's been to about fifteen different camps already, uh, so it, it's time to get that uh, that that funny feeling again.
2: Well, he don't
1: stop, does he? No, he does not. He, no, does, he not does not stop. Not stop. That guy's everywhere. He bro. is the marathon man of high school football around the state. I give him credit. Hey, how's Jam? You doing? I haven't been on in a couple days, actually. What? I I haven't been. I've been. Where's tra- the dedication go? I don't know, man. I. <laughs> I've, I've been, That's what happened to Neil Brown. Come on. Yeah, dude. Yeah, honestly. stop trusting the clock. Well, now JMU's going to go back down to the doldrums. If the uh, if that anything in that world translates to in real life, we might be seeing Neil Brown coaching the Vanderbilt Commodores by 2025 <laughs> or six. So we'll we'll have to see. So I I don't know if at this point, from the way the West Virginia program's gone, I I don't know if it's a lateral move going to Vanderbilt at this point, but. Uh, no, no, it is not, to
2: no. answer your question. It's, it's not, a lateral, not be move. a lateral move. Well, well, again, you can text us 304-263-4321. We'll be giving away some Orioles gear here uh, in just a little while. we got a Ryan Mountcastle bobblehead and a Grayson Rodriguez. Gas them up. T-shirt, so uh, we'll have that uh, question for you coming up. But you got Texas 4321 When that happens, real quick before we get into Legion Baseball, we'll talk a little NFL football because it seems like Tyson Bajant has been making a big time impression here in the first uh, couple of days, first week of uh, NFL training camp. But that's all I've been seeing on Twitter is people talking about how Tyson should be the backup. Seeing you guys that tweet yesterday, people saying how they are demanding more Tyson Bajant content. They're saying from all these different Bears uh podcasts and radio shows and things like that. So, how realistic do you really think because the thing that does come up in a lot of these threads is that yes, Bajet looks really good, but who has he in the uh in the film and tape and everything that everybody has, it's been against D2 talent. So, he's still having to deal with that hurdle. So, how realistic do you think it is that he does make the backup spot and not, you know, a practice squad guy that could work his way up?
3: I think it's relatively realistic. Um, the, the, the issue that he's running into, and it's the issue that we said a couple of times, is schematically he's the polar opposite quarterback to what Justin Fields is. Justin Fields is a run first, throw second kind of guy. Bidgin, it's obviously the other way around. And the guys that are on that depth chart behind Justin Fields, P.J. Walker is a clone of Justin Fields. He's just significantly worse. And Nathan Peterman, frankly, is, is a, he's a better athlete than Tyson. Uh, even though he has a very poor NFL track record. So that's what Tyson Bajan has going against him. What's interesting, and you're right, the buzz that he's getting around camp – my question would be, and we'll get more of a clearer picture as the weeks go on are people clamoring for Tyson because they want Tyson, or are people clamoring for Tyson because that's how bad the other two quarterbacks are? Mm. You know, we saw footage the other day of people, they're giving Dak a hard time with that underthrown ball. You know, PJ Walker has had enough exposure in the NFL for us to realize he's not a great quarterback. Again, he's just there because you can plug him into Justin Fields' system and he runs it kind of the same. And Nathan Peterman has had a couple of promising camps. But I don't need to remind anybody what he does when he steps on an NFL field because it's not good. So that's what Tyson has going for him in this situation. So, you know, as somebody that's been able to compete at a high level everywhere he's gone, he's been able to make throws at every level, and the talent around him has gotten a lot better offensively, obviously, going from Shepard with all due respect to the Chicago Bears. I don't think it's unrealistic. He has a little bit – he has a better chance to make that roster than the other two remaining Rams, simply because there's fewer people at the position. Mm-hmm. Joey Fisher right now is around the third string. I call it swing guard, I guess. Left guard or right guard for the 49ers. Ronnie Brown is probably running back six, maybe five at He'll best. Be a return guy. Yeah, if, if, if the Buccaneers keep five running backs, he's got a shot. Mm-hmm. Only if... He may play a little bit in the slot, he may be a gunner on special teams, and he may be a kick returner, and he's a third down back, and he can pass protect. So
2: Brian Bragg gives you a little bit more... He's a little bit more dynamic than the other two.
3: Right. It's just that um, the, the, the other rookie back or the other young back that the Buccaneers have on the depth chart is somebody that's gotten a lot of praise out of camp, similar to Tyson, like you said, Uh, You know, Patrick Laird is there, and Sean Tucker is who I was thinking of. Sean Tucker and Ronnie Brown are both undrafted free agents. The difference is Sean Tucker played in the Power 5 conference and was a very good pass catcher, and Ronnie Brown did it at Shepard. So if you're the Bucs, you might go with a little bit more of a known commodity. But in Tyson's case, he's competing against three other people and at the end of the day, he's the six foot four guy that's thrown more touchdowns in the history of college football than anybody. So that alone is enough to make him an alluring, intriguing prospect. My opinion of it is: is this? It's a long answer. I apologize. <laughs> Three quarterbacks will be on the roster. He needs to beat out Nathan Peterman. Walker's going to stay because oh, yeah. he's too similar to Fields. You need to prove that you can be a better option than Nathan Peterman by proving that you can have a very high floor because Peterman being a known commodity is what's keeping him over Tyson right now, and Tyson's got a couple weeks to change that.
1: And the biggest hurdle, I think, for Tyson right now is do the Bears value upside in Baygent, or do they value a guy who has been in the league for six years now on this point, has seen things around the league, has not had the greatest track record, but he's at least been a part of – two teams now, this is his third team in Nathan Peterman. How much do they value that compared to what they could have in the upside of Tyson? I know every single fan in Chicago and every single fan here wants Tyson Bajan to be in that quarterback room in the regular season. I think he's more talented than Peterman as a thrower, but it comes down to do you value maybe having an assistant coach in the quarterback room for a guy in Justin Fields who you're trying to build your franchise around, invest a lot into, because – To be honest here, a lot of people are hyping up Justin Fields. Justin Fields has a lot to prove this season. Yeah, Because what has he done so far? He is a fantastic runner of the football. We have not seen him prove that he can throw the football at the NFL level. He has a lot to prove as an NFL quarterback. Now, how do you want to approach this? Do you want to have a guy like P.J. Walker who – fantastic story if you don't know about P.J. Walker. Came up through the XFL, got a shot with the Carolina Panthers, started a few games. Now he's in up in Chicago. Do you value Peterman and what he's had in the NFL? He's been in the NFL since 2017. Do you value that, or do you value a guy in Tyson Bajant who could have upside as a QB3? Could be a QB2 if you absolutely need it, if something were to happen to Justin Fields. But how much do you value experience over maybe youth and upside in this Bears locker room? I think that's the biggest question of whether or not Tyson Bajant is on an NFL roster or an NFL practice squad come September
2: if you asked me a couple of weeks ago who out of the three or what the chances of uh, making the roster I guess you can say out of the three would be it would have been Fisher Bajan Brown but now I think it's more Brown Bajan Fisher at this point from everything I've been here well I'll change that Brown Fisher Bajan from everything I've been hearing so far the problem with Bajan like we talked about is just he's not necessarily in the right situation for him to get to that spot, but we do have a text here saying Baygent is and will be nothing more than a practice quarterback. Beat him up and send him home. <laughs> wow. They got the, another one here saying six years. Time for Peterson to go and keep QB of the future. Tyson, no brainer.
3: Yeah, I agree yeah. I agree with the sentiment of the the second texture. With the mm-hmm. the first texture is it's kind of forgetting. Is like he's not Skylar Howard. Right. He's six foot four. He's actually pretty good. Yeah, well, he's six foot four. He's thrown for five thousand yards and he's got an unbelief he's got more touchdowns than any he's got three more touchdowns in college than Case Keenum did. Case Keenum had a really long leash in the NFL. Well, I, I understand that sentiment. Um, but there's so much intriguing about Tyson that he's worth checking out. You know, if he, if he has his opportunity and the Bears realize up close and personal this guy's not good enough, then he's right. Practice squad quarterback, you know, take his lumps and whatever. But, you know, another thing to consider is there's going to be a decision made for Tyson coming up this year as to what happens if he does get put on the practice squad. Does he wait it out, which is something he could do, because being a practice squad quarterback isn't necessarily the worst gig in the world, or does he go the XFL route? Does he go to the CFL? You know, Jared Deggy's playing in the CFL right now. You know, to, you mean to tell me that Tyson couldn't be a starter there and try to get back into the NFL that way, or go to Europe, which would probably be a bad idea, uh, or the USFL? Right. He's got other options, and uh, you know, he he has an opportunity to prove that he can stick. Uh, and I don't think we've gotten to the point right now where we say this guy's just going to get the crap beaten out of him on practice yeah. squads, which quarterbacks don't anyways. But I, I understand what the texter is saying, but there's too much intriguing about him as a prospect to condemn him to a life of of anim- uh, uh, anonymity now.
2: Yeah, but it's going to be, and it's it's already been this way with him, and a texter just texted in saying the same thing. It'll always be Tyson Bajent, best college quarterback ever, but he did it in Division Two. Yeah. So he's always going to have to go through that that hurdle.
3: The touchdown record was a Division three quarterback. Right. Right. But
2: he didn't play in the NFL. No.
3: But he got he got a chance. Right. You know, and that's what I mean. Tyson's gotten the chance. What his career has gotten him is not a guarantee, but a chance. Uh, And now it's up to him to use the talent to then turn that chance into an opportunity into Mm -hmm. a a full time job. I mean, you know, nothing's going to be handed to him. You're right because he played at a Division two school, but he's been afforded a chance right now. That you can't necessarily say, had he gone to, I don't know, Maine, you know, had he gone to a really low level D1, like and, Delaware? Yeah, Delaware. Or I, I know hey, there was. A, some respect on the Blue Hands. Hey, too. you know.
2: Hey, the greatest quarterback of all time went there. <laughs> okay. Joe Flacco. <laughs>
3: had he. Um, Had he gone that route and not putting up video game numbers like he did in college, would he have gotten the same opportunity? I think the answer is no. Mm. The only way he would have had a more secure future is if he would have gone to WVU and put up very good numbers. There is no guarantee because shortly after we knew he wasn't coming, the Mountaineers got JT Daniels. And JT Daniels was going to play over Tyson no matter what. Could he have overtaken him by the end of the season? Maybe. But... You know, Tyson rolled the dice. It, it came up his – this is the best outcome, I really think, for him in his collegiate career. Yeah. And now he needs to parlay that into an NFL opportunity. And, uh, you know, those of us that know Tyson, and he's a hardworking kid, and he's incredibly talented, and he's never not succeeded, mm-hmm. know that he has a very good chance to stick.
1: So a hypothetical scenario for you guys. What if – we've talked a lot about Bajan, we talked a little bit about Ronnie. What if these two guys, in a scenario, flipped their homes? So let's just say Tyson ends up in Tampa and Ronnie ends up in Chicago. Because to me, I feel like if those two flip, that would almost be perfect scenario for them both. Because Tampa's got their questions at quarterback. I feel like Tyson would have a much easier job winning at least a QB three in Tampa as and Ronnie too. That would, we don't know what that running back room is in Chicago. You got Khalil Herbert, you've got Deontay Foreman, who they brought in on a one year, just probably transition deal. And then you've got a fourth round pick and Rashawn Johnson, and travis homer who's been bouncing around the league for a few years which ronnie has a chance to make would make i think both these guys if they flipped their homes i think they would have maybe better chances to make nfl rosters
3: here's what i'd say to that and maybe i'm wrong i think if ronnie brown gets cut teams are just gonna say well the bucks gave him a good look and now we're not interested i think tyson's player profile is so intriguing that if he gets cut by the Bears, somebody else would be like, I kind of want to take a look at this guy. Mm. And Fisher, I think so too, just because of the measurables. You know, he's older, but he had a more impressive combine than Mm -hmm. just about any other lineman. I think that, and it's no disrespect to Ronnie, I just think that when you've got an organization like Tampa that uses a lot of backs and develops dual threat backs, if they cut Brown, people are going to be like, well, one team's had a look at him, I think that's enough. But I think... Tyson definitely and Fisher are so intriguing of prospects that somebody else will give them a chance, especially Tyson. If the Bears cut Tyson today, half of the teams in the NFL are at least going to call him in my opinion. So, I get I mean I get what you're saying if they mm-hmm. would have ended up with him initially, but the, the the hand that Ronnie's been dealt is the only one he's going to mm-hmm. get, I think. And I mean, yeah. he could make it work too. He's a he's a uniquely talented person too. The,
2: the the only well, the unfortunate thing for Ronnie is that I mean, there's a lot of guys that can do what he does, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. it's, and I'm and a lot of them I'm played a, in the SEC, right? And I'm riding with <laughs> yeah. Ronnie Brown all day. That's my guy. But that's the unfortunate thing with him. And like you said, with Tyson, you got all the extra measurables and things where it gives you a little bit of interest, all the records and whatnot, and then. I mean, Joe is just a beast, so you got to give him a look. But with that being said, I mean, I hope everybody makes a roster, of course. I mean, I'd love to. I'm, I haven't been this excited to watch preseason football games, I think, ever. To Absolutely. see if I can catch it some points tomorrow. to these guys. Yeah. All these
3: guys want is a chance. Yeah. You know, all Ronnie Brown wants is a chance to get snaps in a preseason, not practice, in a preseason game. All Tyson wants is a couple of drives. All Joey Fisher wants is a couple of drives to prove that they can belong. And those of us that have seen him play, we back them in that situation. It's not a guarantee, but we like their chances. All they want is a chance.
2: So we got Buck Steelers on Friday, the 11th. Buck Steelers, Friday, the 11th. I don't Could think he'll first. play this early, to be honest think? with you. I think you don't think that, he'd catch a fourth quarter? I don't know. Fourth I think, quarter
3: return? I mean, he's they've got six... Six or seven, seven, six running backs it's on their to roster. Six. I think they start with the first teamers and peel it back. That's cause and then, then get mm-hmm. them wrapped up for the season. Yeah. And then the last preseason game, if he's still around, then they turn him loose. Well the
2: one having one cut's huge for these guys. Now. Yeah, yeah that's the true. one cut's also. We got Bears Titans on Saturday the twelfth. How early do you think we could potentially see Tyson?
3: I I don't know if we'd see him in that game. Yeah. I don't think we'll see any of them in the first game. The 49 ers
2: Raiders on the 13th first weekend first weekend Mm -hmm. we'll see i'm excited i'm I'm hoping i mean i'm just it's awesome that they've made it this far i mean my goodness 99 percent of guys don't even make it this far so shout out to them uh the shepherd boys for uh we're doing pretty good up there so far but you can get in touch with us text us 304-263-4321 we'll be back after this on wpm and wcst the Handle news network
0: It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP Sports Network.
2: Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Icewinner. Alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. You can text us, 304-263-4321. You can tweet us at EP Sports Network. Real quick, Luke, can you give us a quick rundown of uh, what Post 14 is getting ready to embark in today?
3: Absolutely. And we've got uh, the Vice President of American Legion Baseball coming on a little bit, Chris George, to set the scene for this state tournament. Post 14 playing today at 4 o'clock. And you don't have to go anywhere because we're going to be playing that game right here. And we're going to play every single game of this uh, week's American Legion Regional which is coming up from Dale Miller Field, uh, the historic Dale Miller Field in Morgantown. So they play at 4 o'clock today against the Pennsylvania State Champ. It's a double elimination tournament, so they're guaranteed to play tomorrow no matter what. If they lose, they play early. If they win, they play at 4 o'clock again. And again, we'll carry all the games. I'm excited to see who they're going to throw first. Because they kind of buried the lead with the Lauder last week, and then he got touched up a little bit. Stottlemyer didn't throw game one. They went with Myers, who was unbelievable when they won the first game of the state tournament. So are they going to stick to that kind of similar rotation, or are they going to try to go front heavy? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But this team offensively is the best they've been all season long. And he said that was a product, Coach Tobin, when he came on the show last week, of simply playing six games in a row and not having you know breaks off and delays and rainouts and air quality concerns. He said, "You know, once we're playing all these games together, we're mashing." Well, they're mashing, and Dale Miller Field is a hitter-friendly park, especially the, when the launch hit, pad. It when the wind gets going, yeah. It, there's there's some wind tunnels because it's up on the top of a hill. Mm. So you, I mean, stuff. What well, isn't just, everything in Morgantown? Well, pretty much, <laughs> it's up on the hill or below the hill. Um There's jet streams, and there's right. some guys that can certainly do some damage at that ballpark. I'm excited to see it because this is. I'll say really quickly. One of the strongest years I think West Virginia's had for regionals. I know South Charleston's had some really good teams in the past that have gone to regionals. I went one year with Fairmont, and they went two in a barbecue, and you thought, well, maybe we were down that year. There's two teams right now, and I'm not saying they can win it, but there's two teams in post two who's playing really well. And the stat that you uncovered, Berkeley post uh, 14 has won 15 of the last 16 games. Uh, They have as good a shot as any. Uh, West Virginia teams have been a game away from the World Series before. Post two has done it. Um, there's a chance that that could be the same case this year. I'm excited to see it.
1: Yeah, post-14's been on a heck of a run throughout July and into August, and if they can find a way to keep the momentum going, they have every chance as every other team in the field to try and get to that Legion World Series. It all comes down to the pitching, I think. If they're able to keep that under wraps and keep that at least semi-rested for those pitchers, I know some of them are going to have some tall tasks ahead of them with some of the better hitters in the region. But they've got the opportunity as anybody to go out and do it. I think, again, that talent level, we talk about it and we flaunt that the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia, in our opinion, has the best athletic talent in the state of West Virginia. If they're able to showcase that to a regional stage, not only do I think that helps the Eastern Panhandle, it helps the entire state of West Virginia to let people know, hey, the Eastern Panhandle, this is a hotbed for athletic talent in that mid-Atlantic region. So if they're able to make a decent run in this tournament, even not even like making it to the Legion World Series, if they're able to maybe win a couple games, get close, it speaks a lot to within how the Eastern Panhandle is looked at within the mid-Atlantic region. And the town is
2: hyped on post-14, too. I feel like everywhere I've gone last week or so, I've heard at least somebody bring up post-14 baseball of course either talking about their kid or their nephew or their cousin or whatever but still regardless the uh the interest is there the excitement is there and i mean for good reason and like we've been talking about they've been playing some pretty exciting baseball this summer and uh i think sky's limit for them in the state tournament but like you said luke we'll be talking uh with chris here in a little bit to give us a little bit more of a rundown a more in-depth look at this uh legion state tournament which is getting started today and again you can listen to it right here on wpm and wcst the panhandle news network will be back on WPM, well, on WPM and WCST. Panhandle News Network.
0: Panhandle Sports Live, your home for sports in the Panhandle. Here's Jordan, Luke, and Parker.
2: Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Icewinner alongside me Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. You can text us 304-263-4321. You can tweet us at EP Sports Network. We're getting all squared away for the Regional Legion Tournament, which, of course, post-14 is going to be taking part in. You can listen to that right here on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. And to talk about the Legion Region Tournament, uh, it's Chris George, sir. How are you doing this morning? Doing
4: good, guys.
2: Well, go ahead and uh, give us a rundown. What what do you think is going to go down in this Legion tournament up at Dale Miller Field?
4: You know, it's interesting. The regionals are special. I know I was a part of it back in 2012 when the team that I was with Elkins Post 29 we we won the states and went to regions. And you know, American Legion does it right. I mean, they they pick you up in a charter bus, or out in the western part of the United States, some people get flights depending on how far it is from point A to point B, but. They pick you up in the charter bus and take you to the site. And back in 2012, it was at West Lawn, which is just outside of Reading, PA. And they have transportation also there as well from the motel to the field or to the mall or wherever the kids want to go when they're not playing. It's a wonderful experience, and I think these kids at Berkeley will enjoy that this week as well. Even though they've played at Morgantown before, it's just the experience of being treated first class. And they deserve it after – what they went through last week, but the field itself is, uh, from what I could tell, you know, being a part of many regionals in the past, either being in it as a coach or broadcasting it, uh, a lot of teams are very similar, a lot of teams that are very good. I know one thing when I was a part of it, the speed of the game. I know you hear professional athletes talk about it when they're rookies. It's like, we got to catch up to the speed of the game. That's what we saw was the speed of the game gets a little bit quicker all around for all these teams in the regional. You're not going to see very many teams make as many mistakes or errors. You won't see the amount of walks you may see during the other parts of the year. You just got to go out and play baseball. And I think Berkeley has as good a chance as anyone with their pitching staff and how they've performed all year long to uh, do some damage this week. If not, maybe win it.
3: Well, West Virginia in general, Chris, and uh, obviously you've some, you're somebody that's watched American Legion baseball in the state for a long time, gets an advantage by having two of the eight teams in the regional be from their state. Uh, you've seen a lot of baseball. Uh, you mentioned yourself and the Mighty Elkins teams. You've had some very talented South Charleston teams in the past. And, of course, Post 2 has gotten a win away from the World Series uh, back in the, uh, the late 2000s. What is the odds, I guess, where do these two West Virginia teams stack up in terms of talent and the potential to go on runs further than we've seen many West Virginia teams go on in regionals?
4: I think what I mentioned earlier with Berkeley's pitching is, number one, you need pitching in this. I mean, you think about it. I think what's going to help the West Virginia teams this year is for both Morgantown and Berkeley. They just went through a 15 game tournament, an 18 double elimination tournament. Both teams got to the finals in Morgantown and Berkeley. They know what it takes with the pitching. They know what it takes, what they have to do with the bats and stuff like that. So they've got a little bit of taste of this where in the past we had a 16 tournament, maybe not as many games. So you got to have the depth in the pitching, especially in the age of the pitch count and it starts there. And number two, you've got to have timely hitting. You got to be able to get timely hits. I know the team last year that won it from Chesapeake, Virginia had multiple timely hits of runners on base. Lots of close games. I don't think you'll see any blowouts. I really don't, unless it might be in a loser's bracket situation. So timely hitting is going to be very, very key this week as well.
3: Well, we talked to Trip Tobin uh, about his team, and obviously as strong as they were throwing the ball last week and the pitching performances they got from start to finish in the state tournament. He said offensively he felt the key for them getting going late was just simply playing multiple games in a row. Speaking yourself as a former head Coach, uh, can you kind of expand on what he meant? He said, you know, most of this season we've been starting and stopping games and we haven't been able to get into an offensive rhythm. But now that we're in tournament play and we're getting, you know, multiple games in 48-hour periods, uh, it's given his hitters a, a chance to kind of hit more consistently.
4: Agreed 100%. Baseball's a game that's meant to be played just about every day. I know back when I used to schedule my team's games, we played five games five days a week whether it was single games, We tried to give everybody about two days off a week, and that kept you in rhythm. And you would build that rhythm come July into the season. And I think Berkeley felt that last week, getting a bunch of games in. They found a rhythm with their bats. They found a rhythm with their arms. And the same way with Morgantown. There at the end of the regular season, Morgantown got hot. Why? Because they played more games in a two-week stretch and maybe they've played on a consecutive basis throughout June and the first part of July. So it's all about finding rhythm and finding chemistry and finding that uh, consistent uh, schedule. You want for both for hitting and pitching.
1: Chris, we've talked about on the show, Post 14 has put together one heck of a run through the month of July. They've gone 15-1. and Their only loss coming against Post 94 in the tournament. Is this one of the more impressive runs you've seen overall for a team, high school, legion, overall that you've seen so far?
4: Yeah, when you put it in that perspective, it is. 15-1 is special. You know, I I saw part of that this weekend. What I liked about this Berkeley team was the grit that they showed, the never-say-die attitude, because you're going to need that when you're playing, when you're 15-1 in that stretch. I just hope it continues over to this week. I know back when we won the States in 2012, we had a very similar run, and it did carry over to the regionals. But just one bad inning kind of hurt us, and just the balloon popped but hopefully for Berkeley they can avoid that bad inning and find a way to continue this stretch. Same with Morgantown. I mean, let's face it, Morgantown was on a wonderful streak as well until they lost two in a row there in the state tournament on Friday and Saturday this past week in Charleston.
2: Well, Chris, give us something to write about here. Give us uh, give us a headline. What's the surprise you think is going to happen this year? Any big surprises in this tournament?
4: You know, I really don't know as far as the talent. I'm very surprised Cumberland. Maryland won Maryland, but they were able to get the other Madden kid in that back from JMU, which helped them. They're hot right now as we speak. You look at the field, Brooklawn, New Jersey, is back. And, you know, Brooklawn under Dennis Barth is one of the most storied American Legion baseball franchises in the nation. They've won national titles. They've been runners-up. They've won numerous regional titles. In fact, when we played them in 2012, some of the things they do, small ball-wise, but defenses, unique things where they charge second baseman or shortstop on a wheel play. It's stuff you haven't seen before, It's stuff that you can probably steal for your own. They are always going to be fun to watch. I think they're going into it knowing how well they're coached and how good their program is. They may be the favorite. Quaker Town, Pennsylvania, the state champs from PA. Hey, when you got 200 teams in the state, you know they're going to be pretty good. So this is going to be an interesting tournament. But, again, guys, I'm serious. Just what I see from Berkeley, I think they've got a great chance to not only compete but maybe win this thing with the pitching they got, and I hope they do. Well,
3: I want to ask you this as well, Chris, and I apologize, but I need to make it Tyler Barnett's spokesperson for a second. I love Milan Park and Dale Miller Field, but it's a unique complex uh, for Berkeley parents that are planning on traveling out, whether or not it's tonight or in the coming days, uh, hopefully this team is able to advance. Do you have uh, any advice in terms of parking or, or how to tackle getting to one of the more uh, uniquely accessible baseball complexes in the state?
4: Yeah, I, I would probably go a little early. They are, they are having a Mon County Fair down below. At, the, at Milan Park this week, so traffic might be a little bit more increased and parking might be a little bit more uh, harder to come by. We'll just have to wait and see. I did talk to Tyler about that yesterday. He doesn't seem like it's going to be an issue. It's just you'll have a ton of parking. you just got a little bit of ways to walk from your vehicle to the field. But get there early, enjoy the games prior to that, and, uh, and, and, and support these kids because, you know, the turnout, they're going to need that extra guy extra lady, extra fan, so to speak, this week, and uh, winning this regional championship. West Virginia's never won one, and that's the other thing here. We've had teams get to the finals. We've had teams get there. You know, Morgantown had a taste of it. So can we get one? That would be special.
2: Yeah, and we're speaking with West Virginia American Legion Vice President Chris George about the, region, the Legion Regional Tournament getting started today uh, up at Dale Miller Field in Morgantown. Chris, thank you for joining us this morning, and uh, we're looking forward to a fun tournament up in Morgantown.
4: Okay, guys. Take
2: care. Thank you. Again, that's Chris George, West Virginia American Legion Vice President, uh, joining in on the line. He's always on the move, it seems like, every time we talk to him, too, which is kind of <laughs> funny driving around. Uh, but I agree with him. I think this is going to be an interesting tournament. Of course, West Virginia's bringing uh, a lot of talent in with, uh, of, course, of course, post-14. But that Cumberland-Maryland team, and I'm pretty sure the Madden kid he's talking about is uh, the brother of the one of the uh, former Shepard uh, social media girls, by the huh? way. Uh, oh, Quinn? He's a pitcher. Yeah, Quinn. But... Um, yeah shout out Quentin she's now at the uh
1: did she University to of Tennessee. Oh, yeah, she's down to Tennessee He's She's now. working for oh, okay. the Tennessee Athletics
2: wow. Department now. Yeah, shout-out to her. Absolutely. But I think they could be pretty good. Uh, Those Cumberland boys, they always seem to have an arm that can take them uh, a pretty good distance, too. So I'm excited. And, of course, you can listen to the post-14 game right here on WPM and WCST.
3: Yeah, again, it comes your way at 4 o'clock tonight. Chris George, you just heard, will be on the call for that one. Uh, and the folks over at Metro News helping us out. Uh, like he said, uh, Brooklawn is one of the best teams in the history of American Legion baseball, especially recently. Cumberland, like you said, is scrappy. And and Quakertown has had to win a lot of big games because, like as he mentioned, there's a lot of Legion baseball teams in the state of Pennsylvania. So going through that test, um, it, it, they're certainly going to be as sharpened as sharpened iron can be. And then you've got two very talented in-state teams. Morgantown, who's made a run to that regional championship game uh, the first year they had the region. And then people remember back when Andy Altimus was playing in Jed Jerko, they were a win away from the World Series. So they have a, a track record. And then you've got a Berkeley Post-14 team. We kind of joke and say they're playing with house money. Don't tell them that. I mean yeah. they they walk into every tournament like they're the favorites. Uh so it's going to be certainly fun.
1: Yeah, this is gonna be a really exciting tournament. I, I'm excited to see how Post fourteen attacks this first game, how they're going to who they're gonna pitch in that first game, who they're gonna move around, and what they're gonna go with.
3: And uh, I, I just got a message, by the way, talking about fans and how they want to the travel and, and take on this tournament from uh, Berkeley post 14 head coach Trip Tobin. Uh, it's $10 at the gate, but you can pay 30 bucks for a, a, for a pass for the whole week, which I think is the right move there. Yeah, I mean, sure. I, no guarantee, obviously, that any team's going to be there for more than two games, but. High level of baseball. Dale Miller Field's a great facility. I know they get like the Kona ice machine over there, some food trucks. It's a, it's a really cool event. And something else, if people didn't know um, what that field is right now, the way it's constructed, Dale Miller Field, they've moved the bleachers and the press box over from Holly Field, which is where the Mountaineers used to play, from just down the hill of the Coliseum, and they've relocated them. I saw them do it. It was one of the most inc- throwing those things on a truck and driving them on the interstate. It's like Holly Field has come to life again at Dale Miller Field. So if you're a a huge fan of WVU baseball and its history, it's a cool complex to check out, if nothing else, because of that and the history that those bleachers have seen um, and the fun tournament that's going to be taking place this week.
2: Well, of course, we are your home for Baltimore Orioles baseball. They had a big win last night, thirteen to three, over the Toronto Blue Jays. This is a uh, series, a good little settle down series, I think for them. Uh, well, potentially could be. Of course, they lost uh, two days ago, four to two. But uh, what are you thinking about the O's so far? Quickly, because we got to get this break. And uh, well, actually, skip that. We'll talk about it after the break. Do we have a
1: uh, question for? The Orioles prize pack? Yes, we do. Again, our Orioles prize pack for today, you can win a Ryan Mountcastle bobblehead. We got a gas-em-up Grayson Rodriguez <laughs> t-shirt that they gave out for his debut in the majors as well. So if you want to grab a piece of that, all you need to do is text in today's trivia question, 304-263-4321. Today's question, how many Cy Young Awards did Jim Palmer win? Again, how many Cy Young Awards did did Orioles pitcher Jim Palmer win? Just text in that answer, three zero four two six three four three two one 4321 and win your Orioles prize back. We'll be back after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network.
0: Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network.
2: Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Icewinner, alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Yeah, well, that's called beginners luck, 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 uh. luck,
3: luck, luck,
1: luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Proven it, it's never fails, never failed once. For the second straight day, it is a 4-3 to three loss that costs the perfect slate for Parker's picks. The Twins ended up winning in yesterday's lock of the day, 3-2. Uh, to two. The Houston Astros beat the Guardians 2 to nothing. By the way, if you were following Dinger Tuesday yesterday for Jordan Alvarez, we were unable to do that because Jordan did not play in that game. So that, I, that won't count towards the Dinger. Devastating. Yeah, I, w- I was devastated to not see him in the lineup. I was thinking, oh boy, here we go. Let's see where the game's at. And I saw it was... The uh, Astros were up to bat. I was looking at a lineup, didn't see Jordan Alvarez, so I was like, "Uh, great." So, mm. Yeah, I'll well, go I, ahead
2: and throw away the uh, top of the fifth. I was hoping. <laughs> I was hoping two, two one out oh prediction. Dude, that would have been alarming.
3: That, like I that, said, that, if you would have gotten that right, I would have been alarmed more than anything.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> that would have been insane. I would have been alarmed for myself if I would have gotten that. To be honest with <laughs> you, go out and buy a lottery ticket right away, Gosh. No, I need do that. that by I need. The I way. need that luck like, for the Mega Millions or whatever. Yeah, and going like right actually now. do that. By the way. But the team that cost us was the Arizona Diamondbacks last night, losing to the San Francisco Giants 4-3. to The second time in two days an NL West team cost us on a 4-3 to game. But going into today, I'm going with today's lock of the day, is going to be the Dodgers on the run line against the A's. I just feel like the Dodgers have been piecing it together. They've taken a commanding lead, the NL West. I think with Tony Gosselin pitching today against an A's team that, well, we the stories out there we know what the a's got and it's not much so i think the dodgers have a really good chance to win more by two runs against the athletics i'm taking that as today's lock of the day also i'm going over 10 and a half total runs today in the angels and braves matchup you look at the run line you're thinking you're you're really going to go over 10 and a half runs in this it seems like a lot but you think about it it's lucas giolito it's torinos for the braves both these guys aren't the best aces of their team and you look down the lineup for both these teams you got Shohei Otani Mike Trout you've got a lot of pop in those bats for the for the Angels they've added guys like CJ Krohn as well and Randall Garchuk are going to be in that lineup and for the Braves, you've got Acuna, you've got Arcee, you've got Austin Riley, you've got Sean Murphy. They've been playing fantastic. A lot of guys who have the ability to get big-time hits. So I'm going to take the over on runs today in the Angels and the Braves matchup. And I'm going to go under on strikeouts for Shane McClanahan today against the Yankees. Under 6.5. Hopefully they don't bat Anthony Rizzo. If not, this one's going to get shot. So I'm going to take McClanahan under today on strikeouts. So Dodgers is today's lock of the day on the run line. Over 10 and a half runs on the Angels and Braves game. And then Shane McClanahan will be six strikeouts or less against the Yankees today.
2: And again, we're looking to give away this Orioles prize pack. It is an Adley Rutschman bobblehead or Ryan Mountcastle bobblehead and a gas-em-up Grayson Rodriguez t-shirt. You got to text us 304-263-4321. Text us the answer to how many Cy Young Awards did Jim Palmer win? 304-263-4321. Text us the answer. You get a Mountcastle bobblehead and a Grayson Rodriguez gas them up t-shirt. And while well, the Orioles gassed up the Blue Jays last night, 13 to three, and they just can't stop winning. They can't stop hitting either 13 runs on 16 hits. Pretty good day for the O's at the plate,
3: which leads you to a difficult question because now they're 15 games above 500 and this team is special. And we've talked about that at nauseam, a game and a half up in the American league East. Are they a little too good for their own good? And what I mean by that is the trade deadline was yesterday they trade for the Cardinals as Jack Flaherty, and they gave up two you know, top 30 organizational prospects, three players total, and I'm okay with that return as a Cardinal fan, by the way. <laughs> but could they have done more? Is this team a little too good right now to where they think we didn't need to spend as much as we needed to, and they didn't go out and get another piece in the bullpen, they didn't go out and get another hitter, they didn't go out and really seriously pursue Justin Verlander, who they reached out for but decided that the cost would be too much, uh, that is my concern as we've gone through the deadline. I mean, again, this Orioles team is great. I think they're a playoff team. But at the end of the year, when this team with no playoff experience, if they get knocked out in the first round, potentially, because they don't have anybody to throw in the first game of a series where a Verlander could have made a difference, or they have you know Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rushman and so on, so go for three in the ninth inning when they need a run, when they could have gone out and got a veteran postseason-seasoned hitter. You know, is that going to be a bit of concern? Again, everything about this team is great. They're the second best team, or the best team in the American League, depending on who you ask. And Jack Flaherty was a very good piece of business. Um, even if they don't re-sign him, I think that they they did the right thing by trading for him. But could they have done a little bit more? You know, Fujinami has been good, and they've traded for him out of the back of their bullpen. I don't think he's given up a run yet for the Orioles since he's been traded. But did they not do enough at the deadline? I think that's going to be a question that that. We might not know if it'll be answered until the postseason, uh, which is a good problem to have for the Orioles, don't get me wrong, but I, again, I, I'm still a little trepidatious that maybe they could have made one more deal yesterday.
1: So looking at that deal for Verlander that we mentioned, so the deal was Verlander back to the Astros for their top prospect, Drew Gilbert, and then a minor leaguer in single A in Ryan Clifford, who is their 11th ranked, pros- their 11th ranked prospect. So it makes me think what what was the offer that was on the table potentially for Justin Verlander to the Orioles? Was it Colton Kowser potentially? Was it Heston Kurosad, who's still in the minors right now and a minor league prospect? What
3: was the name of the prospect, the, the, the top prospect for the Astros?
1: It was, let me find it again for you very quickly, it was Drew Gilbert. Drew Gilbert. Drew Gilbert was the main piece of the deal for the Mets, and then they bring in Ryan Clifford as well, who was a top 10 prospect for them in their farm system. So it makes you think... Do you, how much would you want to give up for that? Are you willing to give up a Heston Kiersad that you spent the second overall pick on in the draft? Are you willing to give up a Colton Cowser who you spent a first round pick on, for Justin Verlander, who again is 40 years old right now and is two years removed from Tommy John surgery? How how much would you have been willing to give up in that case? I'm I'm with you. I think the Orioles need to be a little bit more aggressive, and I don't know if Jack Flaherty's the answer to solve the minor pitching issues that the Orioles have had at times this season but how much are are they sitting and waiting for the right person or are they thinking well let's wait and then – because eventually they're going to have to pay all these rookies or they're going to have to trade them. <laughs> it's it's one or the other is going to be happening. I have a feeling a lot of these names are going to be gone from Baltimore in the near future. Yeah,
3: potential. I mean, it, it changes if you win. But you talk about Gilbert and people – you you kind of buck at it and you say, man, he was the top organizational prospect, like mm-hmm. you said. But he's only in the low, uh, low 60s in terms of the MLB top 100. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Kierstead. Kierstad is prospect number four for the Orioles, but he's the 36th prospect in baseball. Somebody similar to where Gilbert would have been and who they traded for Justin Verlander would have been Connor Norby, who's 64, Colby Mayo, who's 71. And you have a lot of infield depth. So to answer your question, would I have given up Norby or Mayo for Justin Verlander? 100%. 100%. That's that's what's frustrating more than anything. And Jory Ortiz is 61. I would give up Joey Ortiz. In fact, I'd give up two of those three for Justin Verlander. My point being... And I might be wrong. I don't know. Maybe they, the, the the Mets love Gilbert. They think he's, you know, generational and he's underranked. The Mets gotta start selling. They do. But um, my 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 point is it seems to me that it's abundantly clear that the Orioles had more than enough resources to trade for Justin Verlander and not put a massive dent into their farm system. And they chose not to do that and I don't necessarily think that that's the right decision. It, uh, does it come down to they don't want to give up the farm? Does it come down to they don't want to pay Justin Furlander because they still have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball? That's all part of it. But at the end of the season, again, if they get bounced in the first round or they get bounced in the wild card and they just come up a little bit short because they're missing a veteran piece, uh, you're going to look back at the trade deadline and say getting Jack Flaherty is not enough. And like you said... If they're not willing to invest in these guys long term and pay all of them, which they're probably not, that means their window, even though it's just opening, is short. It's four or five years at most. So you need to maximize your ability to win in this window if this is how you're going to treat it. And I think they didn't do that by making more moves yesterday.
1: So I guess my next point to make on that is, are the Orioles afraid they can't keep their own guys? Because if they are... Because their farm system's deep enough. They can but again, make that's trades. why you would
3: trade for Furland. Yeah. If you don't think you can keep Gunnar Henderson here, so you're only going to win while he's here, you've got five years. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say you make the move now. I, I agree. It, 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 it seems as though they don't necessarily think long-term they can pay these guys. I think they can. I mean, they came up with gross money to pay for Chris Davis, and these guys are, have yeah. much brighter futures than he did at the time. So, I mean, the Orioles have a history of being able to spend money. It's just will they spend money with this current core or are they going to be like the Pirates? You know, the Pirates in 2013 were on the rise, had Andrew McCutcheon as an MVP candidate. They had Polanco. They had Marte. They had Garrett Cole, and they let them all walk, and now they're horrible. You know, I, I don't think the Orioles want to go down that road.
1: Yeah, and it's it's the question they need to ask. Are you going to – because we think Adley Rutschman will, will be priority number one for the Baltimore Orioles if it comes to a signing – who are you going to? Who are you willing to depart if you're going to depart? Is it Gunnar Henderson? Is it Colton Kowser? Is it Jordan Westberg? Because you think about it too, there's guys who are getting up there in age. How long does Cedric Mullins have in the tank long term <laughs> for this team? Austin and, Hayes, how long do these guys are in the future plans for what the Orioles have? And
3: you have positional log jams. I mean, you got a lot of middle infielders. Mm-hmm. And speaking as a, a Cardinal fan, that had a bunch of young outfield talent, and you sat on all of it, and then it all went sour. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, you got to clear up some some lanes and let guys play. And again, the Orioles are still 15 games above 500. So I'm not saying would they lost the season yesterday. I'm just saying they could have done more.
2: Yeah. Well, Texas three zero four two six three four three two one. We got the O's tonight on the air at seven o'clock. We'll be right after the uh, post 14 game, which of course starts at four o'clock. Right here on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Uh, Got about a minute, a little bit more left here, fellas. Anything else you want to hit?
3: Yeah, I wanted to shout out that it looks like the WVSSAC is going to add uh, a a girls wrestling state tournament, which I think is going to be interesting to see that develop across the state. And uh, Parker put in something really interesting. Marshall picked fourth in the Sun Belt. I think that's a fair Mm. assessment for them.
1: Yeah, they were picked fourth in the Sun Belt East. Currently, JMU is the favorite to win in the East, followed by App State, and then you have Coastal Carolina. So Marshall got two first-place votes as well. So the East seems pretty even. The West, a little more lopsided. They have Troy favored as the top team in the Sun Belt West, followed by South Alabama.
2: Well, you can always get in touch with us. Text us, 304-263-4321. You can tweet us at EP Sports EPSportsNetwork. Well, just about that it for us for today. Panhandle Live is next. For Parker and Luke, I'm Jordan. This has been Panhandle Sports Live on WPM and W... Well, dang, we still got a minute left. <laughs>
1: Well, you yeah. wanted to jump the gun today yeah man we Jumping got some the
2: gun time today
3: do we have an answer to the trivia question yet
2: not yet not yet and the trivia question will stay open you can find it over on our twitter page as well it's how many cy youngs did jim palmer win text your answer 304-263-4321 you can get a ryan mountcastle bobblehead you can get a gas him up grayson rodriguez t-shirt which is pretty cool one of these might have to fall out of the box when i'm putting it back today oops yeah sorry <laughs> didn't see that one happen well now we can be done for day. So that does it for us Penny Lavis next. Talk to them all.